Hey guys, it's me, Danny. Now in my 20s, I thought I knew everything. Couldn't tell me nothing. Then I hit my 30s and I didn't think I knew anything. I wished somebody would have told me something. But now that I'm living in my 40s, I'm real comfortable living this life in the Middle Ages. So I thought I'd get together with a couple of my friends who also are in that same age bracket so that we can have some talks about what I believe are some shared experiences. Now, either you've gone through them, you will go through them, or you know somebody who went through them. It's all about conversation. It's all about community here. So listen, comment down below if you have anything to say. If you don't, just make sure you subscribe so you know we're here every week. Like it if you really just like what's going on and share it with a friend if you know somebody who could benefit from what's going on. So let's sit back and see what the people have to say. All right, so first off, uh, I just need you to say that you are or are not okay with being recorded and that you know I'm recording you right now. Yes, I am okay with you recording me. Okay. Okay, good. So now um, just give your name and either your age or the age group you're in. Hi, I am Summer, and I am 46. Mm, nice. Okay, so let's talk about when when you turn 40. When you hit the 40s, before, when it was coming, were you nervous about it, or were you excited to, like, were you good with turning 40? I was, I was fine turning 40. I didn't have any, um, I wasn't anxious about it. I think for me, it was just another number. And even as um, I am slowly reaching the 50 mark, which I can't believe that because I 100% don't feel um, that I'll be 50 by my mindset, I'm still not like, oh my goodness, my life is dwindling down. So I'm actually looking forward to it. So like, what did you think 50 was going to feel like? I don't necessarily know, but I don't, you know, I read an article one time a couple months ago that said, they had a picture of the Golden Girls, Blanche, Dorothy, Rose, and then it had a picture of the girls from Sex and the City. Yes, I saw that. And it said that uh, the Golden Girls were the <laughs> the same age of the girls now in Sex in the City. And they had a picture of them and they had a picture of the girls, you know, Sarah Jessica Parker um, from Sex in the City. And 50 looked so different mm-hmm. in 1988, 86, than it did in 2020, 21, older is no longer 50 or 60 and you can take that from even looking at uh you know gammy with um jada pinka's mom Mm -hmm. 
that Angela Bassett, you know, all of those women, and 50 is the same almost as 30. I mean, it really is at this point because, you know, we're taking better care of ourselves. We're eating better. We have better skin products. Um, we understand more about how we need to take care of ourselves in order to um, live longer. So I think now that the Golden Girls would be in their 70s opposed to uh, these women being in their 50s because we're out here living now. Yeah, and do you think that that was kind of like, um, you know, back in the day in like Hollywood, once you hit like 45, they kind of made the women you like they were obsolete, right? Like you were useless if you weren't, you didn't look young, you didn't present young. And then some of the stars started to be like, no, this is what older looks like. And I'm gonna look like that. You know, um, <clears throat> a lot of stars stopped getting all of the surgeries and things. And we're just like, like, this is what my older face look like. And I'm gonna be that, but I'm gonna still be out here, you know, working and whatnot, instead of feeling bad because now I'm the mother on a movie or on a show or, you know, um, I'm the auntie or the grandma. Whereas earlier it was like, you you didn't dare want to reach that stage. You feel like because we can see celebrities more and the, the people that we know as celebrities who are getting older look so good, like, you know, Janet Jackson, J-Lo, Missy Elliott, like all of those women getting older and like you said Angela Bassett and even Cicely Tyson like do you think that it gave us more freedom to not be afraid to get older absolutely because you know I would only imagine that when you start out at that time in uh with those studio houses and you were getting those contracts and you started out as a teenage star or you know the hot girl that all of the boys were after and then you kind of go now you're a young you know you're a woman in your 30s and what they really wrote either you were in a love scene or you know of course you had a husband or a boyfriend but then if you turned into that woman who didn't have a man then they're like well why aren't you married you know and I think that those conversations have definitely shifted when you are now 30 or 40 and it's like, why don't you have any children? Why are you not married? And then you transition, as you mentioned, into an aunt or you in, or, or mother uh, in your acting career. But maybe the harder part is being the grandmother. Mm. And now you are the grandmother in these, um, movies and you can do a remember when but they're making such strong beautiful black characters and women um you know what is that i am woman and wakanda where you have such strong older um women who are not just being oh you know that's just grandma over there you know you know, just a very small role where now those roles that they are that they have are pivotal and I think that that's what I appreciate because I still believe that Hollywood lets men 
will allow men to age gracefully mm-hmm. while women at times age out. Yeah. And I'm very true. that we are, yeah. So men can continue to age gracefully within their, uh, you know, cinematic roles, but women will age out. And I'm happy that we are turning the tables on that. 100% because Viola Davis is almost 60 and she did that mm-hmm. at 50, 50. Well, she's 57 now. So she probably was 56 when they filmed it, but like almost 60. And that's a, that's a role that you get. Like you wouldn't have been able, she wouldn't have been able to do that a couple of years ago. They wouldn't trust it that her age could bring the people to see her in an action film like that. Now, I know you didn't see it, but just the fact that she plays such a physical role at 60. That is true. And, you know, um, I think it was Viola Davis. She was talking to a group of college students. And she mentioned um, being paid her worth. Mm -hmm. and how she was saying, you know, if you think that I am such a great actress, I should, you know, Meryl Streep is no longer auditioning for roles. They're calling her. Right. Lynn Close is no longer, you know, auditioning. They're calling her. And she said, why do I have to sell audition? You know, I'm just as good as they are. And I'm in there. I mean, and I, yeah, pay me. And she made a very, she made an excellent point when she said that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, I wonder what it's going to be though, like when we turn 50, like when we hit the 50s, because I hear a lot of people talk about when they turn 50, they, they start getting a little nervous, but it seemed like we've been kind of rolling with the years, just letting them be what they are and I think maybe too is you know when you know that you are deliberately trying to make sure that the years count it may not be as as frightening when they come absolutely you know I am blessed that I am still here and because, as I always say, a lot of people didn't make it. So when 50 comes, I think that you just need to relish in that. And if you're so busy thinking about it's almost over, you're not going to be able to experience what is now, right? So let me let me be able to just soak up and absorb all of this that is happening around me because whatever is going to be is going to be like time 2075 is coming regardless right if I'm here perfect if I'm not I had a good run now I ain't trying to go to today but (laughs) please (laughs) I'm not trying to go today but if you had to take Hopefully, you know, when it's all said and done, 
and you have to take my life and put it in a box and put a bow on top of it. I want to be able to say that any and everything that life, my life, not anybody else's life, Mm -hmm. could have given me that I got. And if that means joy, if that means sorrow, if that means birth, if that means death, if that means love, if that means breakup, if that means, hell, I hit my toe on the on the bed, whatever it is that my life was supposed to give me, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, when the bow is going on top of the box, I want to be able to say that I got it. Give it all to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because then I can say that I live. And that's what I want. So you you feel like in in the today of yourself, you have if you were writing the book today, the end chapter right now. Even if you went on living, the end chapter right now, you feel like you could say, "I life has been good for the overall." Because I know you personally, let's, let's, let's be, let's be transparent here. I know you personally, and I know that we could say that there were moments in your life where it wasn't good. Absolutely. But is, but is there more good years than, than not at this point? Absolutely. I think that there's or would more good. You be able to say that the years that have been good, even if there weren't more, would the good at least balance what wasn't not yet maybe i don't know (laughs) i'm gonna say no lord but (laughs) i don't know you know it might be a 60 40 it's definitely not a 70 30 um but maybe a 60 40 right and um not yet but i do know that there have been some extremely, you know, happy times or whatever, or, and then of course, there've been some, you know, bad, but I think now with my children growing up and me moving on, moving on into a space where I am allowed to focus on the person, getting to know the person that I am minus children I do look forward to it and I really do believe that it will be some real you know it's going to be some mixture in there now but I think that for overall um I can I will be able to say that it was good that's interesting let's talk about that real quick well or how long it's going to take we both were parents before we were adults. Absolutely. And so we don't know the pre-life of, you know, like saving money before you get, have a baby and, you know, get married and all of those type of things. Like none of that, that stuff, like planning for a baby and, you know, none of those things happen for us. So a lot of the freedoms that, other other women had um other people had before had becoming a mother we're just now experiencing them right because we have older children now 
in our mid 40s now now our children are young adults you still have one in the house but he pretty independent do you feel like the freedom is the same as when people used to say like oh when that child go to college they gonna cut loose do you feel you in like a cut loose stage of life no you think it's it's because unfortunately I would I probably did all the cut loose I needed to do while my children were still little and probably <laughs> didn't need to be doing the cut loose. So I think that but I do think that I am able now to do the things in which I enjoy to do. And probably could I well not even probably I couldn't do them before just because I had four children. So I had three of them all before I was 23. Mm-hmm. So I had a seven, you know, I was 17. So I had one at 17 and then another 21 and 22. So at that time, so you have three children at 22 years old. So basically still a teenager. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, I had my last child, my, my baby boy when I was 30, I think. Um, 31 somewhere around there and so now that he's you know he'll be turning 16 um, next year and matriculating you know out of the home and um, to college now I can do some of the things that I like to do because the the big three as I as I call them are now independent and living on their own Mm-hmm. I feel like now my, mine are my young you know my youngest is will be 21 in literally 10 days which is crazy to me but I I 100% have it I know that I have a different financial freedom that I've never known before and I have more money than I've ever had before, which makes it even more crazier. I just be like, I'm about to do it. Like whatever, it is, <laughs> whatever it is. And I, I feel like now I do feel like I'm about to get into a, um, I'm about to cut loose phase in life. But maybe also because we both have been like to the deathly ill places it also makes you look at life a different way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because you got really sick. I did get really, I got really sick. Well, I had decided that I was going to get a hysterectomy. So it was like, you know, I'm going to get it. No big deal. Were you um, about it beforehand? Like, was it something that, that gave you like pause or were you okay with it? I mean, you're in the medical field, so I don't know if that's different for you when thinking about procedures or not. No, you know, I just felt like I wasn't having any more children. I was already having um, some complications, uh, not not related to like fibroids you know a lot of people say oh, i have fibroids had a hysterectomy no it was just like i just couldn't figure out you know why i was having these issues so going back and forth back and forth to the doctor different medications 
finally, we just said to hell with it. Let's go ahead on and do the hysterectomy. Perfect. So um, when we decided that I was going to do the hysterectomy, I wanted to get it done. I should have got it done like over the Christmas break, but I didn't. I don't know what happened. So, And then I had just got a promotion at my job. And so I said, let's just wait. And I wanted to do it while my son was on winter break. So I live down here in Atlanta. And um, these kids do the most breaks I have ever known. But they they break it all the time. So I wanted to do it during uh, winter break because then I said, if I do it during winter break, nobody will have to take him back and forth to school. And he can be here and all of that good stuff. And then at the time I was single. So, you know, whatever. And so, you know, I told everybody, hey, getting hysterectomy, told you, called my mother, getting it. So at the time my mother was like, well, I guess I'll come down. And I'm like, oh, you know, I don't necessarily need all of that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be fine. And she was like, no, this is, you know, kind of a big deal. So I'm going to come. And then um, my second oldest daughter lives in Alabama. So she said, well, I'll come up and help Nan, is what they call my mother, help Nan, you know, just kind of maneuver through the city. And it was supposed to be a 24-hour stay. So you have the hysterectomy, 23, I'm sorry, have the hysterectomy, you stay for 23 hours, and then they send you on home to die, you're done. Mm-hmm. so no big deal so my mother got here on a Thursday we went to the hospital on Friday hooked me up summer let's go perfect let's let's ride so we go in there have the hysterectomy um I come out whatever you know I'm I'm okay but I'm not okay it's surgery you know so whatever and that next day which was a Saturday, I do believe. Um, I just didn't feel right. I didn't feel good. Mm-hmm. And I was telling the nurse because one of the things, um, they wanted to do it at an outpatient center, the surgery. And I was like, no, I need to be at the hospital. Anytime, you know, I am in the medical field, so I feel like anytime you need to have a ventilator, because most times when you have surgeries, they use a ventilator. So anytime you need to be attached to a hospital, that's just how I feel. You know what I'm saying? I don't want uh, oxygen. You know how the people <laughs> have the uh, oxygen, oxygen ca- tubes, mm-hmm. canisters. I need it coming out the wall. You don't, y'all don't know, y'all don't know how much I like. <laughs> I need all of it <laughs> to be available for me. So <laughs> the people, I decided not to do it outpatient. So then they called me right before I had the surgery. I was like, oh, you're going to do it at the outpatient center across the street from the hospital. At this point, it was like, whatever. Like, I didn't really want to do it, but at least I was across the street from the hospital. So nonetheless, 23 hours, and I just didn't feel good, right? Um, and so I was telling the nurse, like, hey, I just don't feel good. And she was like, well, maybe if you just try to get up. And... I was like, I still don't feel well. So she tried to get me up, you know, go to the bathroom, all of those things. And I'm like, I'm dizzy, not doing well. And 
I told her, I said, I need to call my doctor. I said, I need you to call my doctor. And she was like, oh, yeah, we'll call him. I said, okay. So I asked her. They got me back in the bed. And I said, did you call her? Oh, we can't find the number. We can't do this and that. We're, we're, gonna, we're trying to get her on the phone. I said, okay. Now, I'll tell you guys. Yes, I'm in the healthcare profession. I am a nurse. I work with these people. So the person who did my surgery, I work with. Mm-hmm. So the nurse who was there, I was at the outpatient center. I did not know her. And um, and she didn't know, of course, that I knew um, my position that well. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So... And it was a Saturday. It was a 23-hour stay. So now these nurses want to go home as well, right? So I'm giving you guys like a little bit of backstory. She wanted, they wanted to go home, I understand. Because now we're going until about 10 a.m. in the morning. I was supposed to be gone. Probably yeah. by 8 o'clock. Mm-hmm. 7, 8 o'clock. But I can't because I, I just don't have it together, you know? They're probably looking at their watches like, if she don't hurry up, there ain't nothing wrong with this woman. Hurry up. She's just being a baby. Which I can be at times. So, he, they kept telling me they couldn't find um, Tracy's number. I said, don't worry about it. I said, okay, I understand. No problem. I called Tracy myself. And she's like, you know, how are you feeling? I said, I feel terrible. I said, there's something wrong. I said, don't worry about it. And I said, the nurse said, she can't find your number. And she says, what do you mean? I said, they told me you couldn't find it, that she couldn't find it. So as, I, as I'm saying, they said they couldn't find it, here comes the nurse coming back in the room. And I said something like, you know, she couldn't find it or whatever. And Tracy says, it's up, it's on your chart. And I said, Tracy said, her number's on my chart. And the nurse said, oh, who are you speaking with? I said, my doctor. She turned bright red. She was like, oh, we found it, we found it. The nurse is making the call right now. Let me see. Let me go back out. They never called her, mm. in my opinion. Because, I mean, I'm talking to Tracy now, and Tracy's like, they didn't call me. So I tell her, I'm not feeling well. I can't do this. She said, okay. She said, we're going to get the ambulance. We're going to take you over to the hospital. No problem. Let's just let you stay another day. I said, okay, that's fine. So ambulance comes. They take me across the street. I get there. My room was already ready. The nurses knew I was coming. Everything was perfect. They draw some labs and, hmm. But this was Saturday, right? So they draw some labs and just whatever. Come back, they draw some labs again. Okay. I'm in excruciating pain, but whatever. Um, Sunday comes. So before we go, when you say you were in excruciating pain, what, what does that mean? Um, just for somebody who does, who has not had a hysterectomy or doesn't know even really it what, was just, where was the pain or what was the pain? It was just 
unusual Hey, Oh, and I also want to say I had a hysterectomy and a bladder sling. So what a bladder sling is, is that a lot of times they'll put like this in your bladder to help um, your bladder fall down just in case your muscles are not tight enough to support the bladder after the uterus is gone, right? So you have to think about your body as Legos and how every organ sits on top of the other, right? Mm -hmm. So they put in a bladder sling as, as well. And the bladder sling goes right up under like the uh, pelvis or whatever. And that's really where the majority of my pain was coming from. And it just hurts. It hurts to move. And anybody who's had surgery, you know that even if you cough, it's like, oh, Lord, it's like you have lifted. You have been in the gym for 10 hours straight and you just can't move. Um, just because your abdomen hurts so bad because that's your core and everything, um, you know, goes off your core. Mm -hmm. So it was just abdominal pain from the gas and the bladder sling and the removal of the uterus. It was just a lot, right? So I, I just felt bad. So Saturday, you know, they're coming in, drawing blood, you know, summer, are you okay? Things like that. By Sunday morning, the charge nurse comes in and was like, hey, we want, you know, for some reason, we're thinking that we might have to do a blood transfusion. He just wants to hang a little bit of blood, you know, it's going to be okay. No biggie. So I'm like, hmm, blood transfusion. I wonder why. And I'm not necessarily, you know, like I said, I'm a nurse, but I'm not necessarily all there. Don't forget, you know, now I had the thing, I had the hysterectomy and the bladder sling 24 hours ago, still, you know, all of that going on, not really feeling my best, all of that. Mm -hmm. So that was Sunday. And so my, my mother and my daughter come down to the hospital, you know, I, I have this blood hanging people coming in, drawing blood. The nurse says, you know, maybe we should get you up and start walking, walking you. And I was like, no, I don't think this is a good idea. She was like, oh, no. And I'm a nurse. I understand that you're supposed to get up and walk. I tell, I even tell, you know, anybody that I know who's having surgery, you have to walk. If you don't walk, you know, you don't want your body to become still and stiff. It helps you breathe. You know, you don't want to get like pneumonia to set up into your lungs. You, you need to get up and walk. So I understood. And so I get out there. I try to walk and I become so dizzy. Like I'm just, I'm just dizzy. And I start to cry because I'm a crybaby. And I start to cry and I'm just not doing well. So they say, take her back to the room. And by this time now, I need anxiety medicine. I'm just not doing good. So they come back in. Uh, guys, we probably need to do another blood transfusion. Why are we doing all these blood transfusions? You know what I'm saying? Like, what, what's causing these transfusions at this time? So after that, the next day comes. Or you just don't remember because of your mind 
at that time? Well, I think that I finally asked, why are we doing these transfusions? And I think that their reasoning was, uh, your blood count is just a little low. Okay. And for my mother telling me, who's a nurse as well, um, you're probably going to have to go back to surgery. Well, I was like, no, I'm going to be all right. It was just a little something. It'll be fine. She said, okay. I said, okay. Monday morning, probably about six or seven o'clock in the morning, Tracy calls me. And she says, Summer, your, your blood count is dropping. We've already given you two units of blood, which is like bags of blood. We've already given you two bags of blood. I don't know what's going on. We got to take you back. And I'm like, you sure? She was like, yeah, you got to go. She said, I'm going to call your mom. And then we're just going to see what happens. You know, like everybody was just like, we're just going to see what happens. You know, everything is fine. And I understand because nobody, you know, um, what did you tell me one time? There is no reason to start running through <laughs> the uh, jungle. And we don't need uh, like the antelope yeah. chasing us when ain't nobody running. Right. So, you know, let's every, let's just everybody calm down. So I said, okay, you know, whatever. But they took me immediately. You know, it was it was my doctor. It was the another uh, urogynecologist. And then there was a third. They had a third, um, a third hand on deck as well. And I remember being down there. I remember everybody being there. I remember like all of that. And they said, okay, let's go. So that was all 7.30 in the morning. My mom and my mother tells me that they came out about 11.30 in the morning. And they said that we're just watching Summer at this point because she's just, as, as they put it, oozing. And we don't know where the blood is coming from. We have no clue where it's at. So right now we just have her open and we're watching her. So, of course, my mother's all upset. My daughter's all upset. Don't nobody know what's going on. And they got the bleeding to stop. They took out the bladder sling, all of that good stuff. So they took, we did all of that. I come back upstairs. Um, and I remember my mother saying, oh, she's better now. Because I don't know where I was at, but they were moving me. And I heard one of the nurses say, you know, she works here or she works with the doctor. She works with the surgeon. And I said, and one of the nurses says, oh, she does. And I said, yes, I do. I'm the whatever, you know, the XYZ. And my mother said, oh, she's better now because she wasn't, I wasn't talking before. And the nurse said, oh, you're awake. But it was just that piece that caught me, you know, when they were talking, you know, when people talking about your ears perked up. So when, um, you know, you're up now. So, you know, that happened. And so that was on a Monday. And I probably stayed in the hospital a couple, I probably stayed in the hospital a couple more days. So let's just say I stayed in the hospital till Wednesday or Thursday. I can't remember. So I was home 
got home and my son was here and his girlfriend was here and um thank God my ex-husband came and he was trying to be helpful, at least go pick up my prescriptions. It was just, you know, a big thing. My mother had to leave. So before I got out of the hospital, my mother and my daughter were gone. So then I had a new round of people that came in to try to help me. So feeling a lot of pain, needed help to get back and forth um, to the bathroom and just whatever. Now, it wasn't due to the second surgery. It was just the fact that I had the hysterectomy and, you know, you're just healing from it, right? So I'm home and I kept saying, I don't feel good. I just don't feel right. Hmm. I don't feel good. And if anyone has ever had a bladder infection, it kind of felt like a severe UTI. Okay. With this odor attached to it and like I was still bleeding and they told me that I wouldn't be. It was just a lot. And I was home. So I did this for like a week or so. Well, no, I did it less than a week. And I remember calling Tracy and I was like, hey, I, I don't feel good. And Tracy was like, Summer you know, just take your medicine. It's going to be okay. We're going to figure you, you know, we're going to figure it out for you. You'll be okay. I said, okay. I'm crying. And I said, well, maybe it's because, you know, I have all of these pain medicine, you know, the pain, if, the, if you know, anybody from the Drug Approved Food Administration would have came over here, they were taking me because there was all types of everything over here because I was just in so much pain and antibiotics. It was everything over here. And I said, okay, maybe it's just the medication. And one night, it was a Thursday because Grey's Anatomy was on. And my friend Tiffany called me and she said, Summer, what is going on? I'm crying and I'm telling her I don't feel well. I have a fever now at this point. I have a fever. And I said, I, I just, there's just something wrong. She said, go back to the hospital. Mm -hmm. He said, because what you can't do is become septic. You know, she was like, think, just run down, do a full body assessment on yourself. And let's just walk this through. And I said, okay. And she sat there and we did like a full, you know, body assessment, alert, oriented, bathrooms blood pressure, temperature, just everything as a nurse that you're supposed to do. And as we got done, she said, you know what you need to do. I said, I need to go to the hospital. Mm -hmm. She said, and I said, all right. I said, well, let me take a shower and find out what I'm going to wear and brush my hair. That person, I'll, you know, <laughs> now gotta be cute. People who know me, right? <laughs> people who know me know that I, I had to do all of that before I got ready to go. So I did all of that. And my son, my older son, he was here, of course. And I was like, Lord, I don't want to wake him up to get him to drive me to the hospital. 
for me to drive, you know, for him to drive home. So I'll just drive myself. Oh, Lord. So the hospital, which I had my surgery, is far, at least 45 minutes. I got in the car, because it's about midnight at this point. From the time Grey's Anatomy comes on at 9 till about midnight. I get in the car. And I drive myself to the hospital because in my mind, I'm like, I'll be back, you know, get to the hospital. Um, now, I couldn't take any pain medicine um, leading up to it because, of course, I didn't want to be sleepy driving on the road. <laughs> okay. So by the time I get up there to the hospital, I'm done, right? I park in the ambulance parking. Like, I just can't. I don't know what type of emergency room parking y'all got where you got people parking in the parking deck, but this girl can't park in the parking deck today. So I make my way in there. I'm crying. I'm, again, you hear a lot of crying in this story. I'm crying. It's a wreck. So the people call me back, tell me to, you know, whatever. And I'm going to the bathroom like every 10 to 15, like every 10 to 15 minutes. I'm like, I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. They said, well, you know, we're just going to do a little, a little CT scan on you or whatever. We got to just figure out what's going on. Uh, and they figure it, they do the scan, all of that good stuff. They said I had some type of hematoma, bladder infection. I'm jacked up. So one of the doctors, not my doctor, Tracy, but another doctor comes in and I, you know, I know her too. She's on call. She's like, Hey girl. I'm like, Hey, she said, what are you doing here? Give her the rundown. She says, okay. She said, well, we're admitting you. So we'll just see. I said, okay. So now I'm here. Put me back upstairs. I'm not in the same room. I think I'm like two doors down from where I was at before. Everybody's like, hey, Summer, welcome back. Sorry that you're here, but you know. Tracy ends up calling me. What happened? Well, she didn't even say what happened. She was like, I know that you're there. It's going to be okay. So now she's all upset and she's called the chief to tell the chief like, hey, you know, Summer's back. So now he's calling me like we're all coming up there. So Probably first patient started about 8.40. By 8 o'clock, I had the chief there, Tracy there, the nurse, the doctor who checked me, the two admitted me, and there was another doctor there. They were all there. And they were like, hey, we're just coming to check on you. I'm like, I'm good. You know, what's going on? Did you feel any better by that time? Better, meaning better than when you showed up? No, I did not feel any better. I was still like, by the time they had been giving me a pain pump, by the, when I got there the next time, or by the time I got upstairs to my room, they were giving me a pain pump because my pain was so bad. Before they were just like, you know, here go a little bit of whatever they give you, Percocets or, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. For your Tylenol 3, Tylenol with codeine. But by the time I got back, they had admitted they had a pain pump waiting on me where you can just push the button. Well, I had the pain pump when I got my C-section because I was on um, <laughs> taking me to the kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. 
I had you had to have the pain pump because you were I was in so much pain. Mm-hmm. So the urogynecology people come. It was urogynecology. And they say, hey, we looked at your, you know, we looked at everything and it looks like you have three kidneys. Three kidneys? They said, yeah, you have three. You have two on the right and one on the left. The two on the right, so you have your kidneys, like kidney beans. And then your kidneys have like, um, they call them like urethras, which look like little straws, we'll just say. And that's how the urine comes out of your kidney, comes out of your kidneys and into your bladder. So the little uh, straws, we'll call them, that go into the bladder or come out of the kidneys and into the bladder, both of them, one kidney was infected, both little straws were infected. And then that is where I was getting the pain from Okay. because all like I had, so I had a kidney, the kidney was infected as well as the two ureters um, were also infected. And, and then I had a hematoma where the bladder sling was, there was a, a pocket of, you know, blood or whatever had formed there. So that's where all my pain was coming from. You was on team messed up. Team hashtag messed up. Hashtag. So, right. They said, so now, Summer, you're just here. We got to get your fever down. We got to get your pain under control. We got to get, we didn't, you know, and it's like, well, and my doctor, Tracy said, she said, you know something, Summer? She said, I knew when I did the surgery that I saw another little, you know, straw. She said, but in my mind, I said, there can't be two over there. And I kept on going. She said, but I saw it. She said, you're the first person out of all of the surgeries that I've ever done who's had two kidneys and on one side. So then, of course, when I got better, I read up on it, and it says a lot of people are born with two kidneys, and you re- and you don't find out that you have them until you're doing another surgery, and people be like, hey, guess what? You know, I saw another one over there. Who knew? No, you don't. So it's not uncommon. It's not as uncommon as you think, and it's usually only found out when something else is going on. Mm-hmm. So that was on a Thursday. And, and I by say, this time, how many days have passed? Are we, so are we a week? Are we two weeks in? Are we three weeks in? Are we one week in? So I had the surgery February 25th. So, you know, our weeks are short in um, February. I left the hospital that Wednesday. So we're looking at like March 2nd or so. We'll just give or take. And then I was home, I was home a week, hold on, we can just do the, I was home a week, okay, so hold on here. No need to lie. Okay, here we go. So I had the surgery February 25th, which is a Friday. I left the hospital March 2nd or 3rd, so that was either a Wednesday or a Thursday. 
I was home from March 3rd, we'll say, to March 10th. And then I went back to the hospital March 10th. And I stayed in the hospital from the 10th to the 17th. Good Lord. So I was in the hospital, give or take, two and a half weeks or so, just give or take. And so then I left the hospital that Thursday, the 17th. And then just from being at the hospital and, you know, I remember one of the things that I can say is that the, all of my physicians, someone came in every day to check on me. Now, are they there because they're on service? Because, you know, we, they're delivering babies. So, of course, they're coming in and they're checking on me. Hey, girl, hey. But just the fact that they came in just to make sure that I was okay um, I also know that uh, one of their colleagues is in the hospital and they're like, Lord, don't let nothing happen to her. Um, but I just appreciate the fact that they did all that they did for me. And I do not blame anyone. I don't think that it was anybody's fault. I do not. I just think that sometimes little quirky things happen. Mm-hmm. that you don't know are going to happen until you get in there, right? So I had said that, you know, get the hysterectomy, all of this. Now, I'm still having some complications. We still don't know what the, what the daggone problem is, but whatever. We're going to figure it out. But I wanted, which has nothing to do with hysterectomy, to go and get my breast done. I can tell you right now, from that situation that happened over there, mm-hmm. I am not doing anything cosmetic that's going to cause me to go back up under the knife just because, you know, just for some fun stuff. I'm not doing that now. So whatever they look like now is whatever they look like because <laughs> as of right now, I just don't feel comfortable enough mm-hmm. to go and do anything that is going to require that type of um, invasive surgery now. I did have to have some dental work done and they do um, put you to sleep for the dental work. And I was very leery and skeptical about that, but you know, everything was fine. But as far as anything else, I just don't, if it's, if it can't be like propofol or something, I just don't think that I feel comfortable with it right now. Okay. So does that mean, do you regret, electing to have your hysterectomy when you did or do you still feel like you think it was a good choice to get the hysterectomy and then the complications just happened to be I don't know because I'm still having the same complications that I was having before the hysterectomy right so I just feel like I might have just kept everything like the only thing that's different from the hysterectomy you know, before and after is that I no longer get, you know, periods, but that necessarily wasn't, you know, a game changer for me. So one of the things that I think that they don't prepare you for is they say, 
Well, because you keep your ovaries, you don't necessarily have to worry about, you know, just that the menopause changes or the emotional changes that you may go, you know, go, go through. Okay. I do not believe that to be true. Okay. Believe that Cause they're what I- taking the uterus. And your cervix and all of that is gone, right? Mm-hmm. You can't tell me that there's not a chemical balance shift that needs to occur because those things are removed. There was a- you have to, yeah, you, it, there, there was a, a balance that, need that needed to happen. Mm-hmm. in order for you to kind of level out that's a lot of estrogen even though you're keeping your ovaries that's still a lot of estrogen that you potentially would have lost just because of your cervix and your uterus and you know all of that and so I do think that there is a uh, a chemical imbalance that you experience while you are balancing out. So they prescribe some uh, estrogen patches. Like, oh, you know, take an estrogen patch. Mm-hmm. Number one, they, they just made me crazy. Like, I I remember having one on one day, and it was like, I am just not good. I was very tearful, which is too much, you know? And I remember being at the, sitting in the parking lot at the grocery store, and I took the damn thing off and threw it out the window. Like, I'm just not doing this. I'm I'm over it. I'm not. Okay. And just let the cars fall where they may. That's exactly, you know, where I, that's what I felt. And so um, I did not use that again, but I, I feel like, um, it took a minute to get myself back in order. So I came home on the 17th. I came back to work August 20th. I mean, not August, April. I went back to work April 25th. And I know that in April, I still wasn't, I still wasn't 100%. Because I remember saying, hmm, maybe I need to make a therapy appointment. I'm just not good, you know, and I knew I'm just not good. But it could have been because I thought I was good. And I went back to work 100% full-fledged, turned on the computer, 8 a.m., and thought I was going to work a whole day from the start. I should not have done that. You do have a pretty stressful job. Yes but you do have a pretty stressful job. So that would be intense. I went back to work like it was Monday. It was Friday. And I said, okay, you guys, see you Monday. And I came back that that Monday after being gone from February 25th to April 25th. 
like nothing had like time and like everybody was saying freeze tag and I just tagged everybody back in mm-hmm. and I was starting a new position when I went back when I came back it just was not the best move for me to make do you feel like so, you, you yeah. were putting pressure on yourself to be summer before surgery or do you feel like you gave yourself space to be like this is a new me and I need to like learn her and then introduce her I didn't think I needed I didn't think that I was going to need to do that so I did I definitely didn't give myself space because I didn't know I needed it Mm -hmm. do you wish now that you had Oh, absolutely. I think that I probably, I don't know when I should have went back to work. I don't know if I should have like did a day, a a day a week. I don't know what I should have did, but what I do know is not going back like I did, you know, it was a lot. I broke up with well, I ain't gonna say break up, but the guy that I was dating, we fell out. We fell out at that time. Um, now I still do think that some of the ownness of the uh, situation that we were going through falls on him. Mm-hmm. But I can also understand how he may have said this. Some of the stuff that you're you're saying is a lot right because again of the of the imbalance that I had and didn't realize that it was an imbalance at the time caused a lot of the breakdown in the communication in which we were experiencing mm-hmm. um, now I do believe that in his maturity he should have understood that but maybe if he has never had anyone who has gone through that then maybe he doesn't understand either right so six in one hand half a dozen in the other I just don't think I think that that was one of the things that I wish that I just would have been prepared for but as of now I might even say that I may even be better than I was before mentally Uh, mentally yeah maybe I just had too much estrogen you know I don't know who knows you know what I'm saying could be atrophy who knows I don't know you know necessarily but I do feel like mentally I am in um, a good space and this is also coming from a girl who does suffer from anxiety um I think that, you know, this is probably a very good space for me. That's good. Did you, but you, did you go to therapy or was, was that a, I mean, you, I hear you saying you thought that you needed to, but did you actually get to therapy and walk through this? I have to say that a lot of the things that happen between February and April are very fuzzy. But for some reason, I do think that I remember talking to my therapist. But I still can't remember why I reached out to my job one either. Can't remember. 
And that's just because of all of the medicines and the, you know, it really made my memory very fuzzy during that period of time. So I just can't remember. But I don't, I, I say all of this to say, like, this is just one of those stories where, you know, people will say, oh, my cousin went in to get their, you know, tonsils out, and then they came out never being able to speak again. This is just like a fluke of um, yeah. events that it happened to me. But there are millions of other women who get um, all types of surgeries, and they turn out wonderfully. So I do know that telling this story, everybody will take this one and be like, oh, I listened to a podcast. This girl said that all of this stuff, she needed a blood transfusion. They had to cut off a toe. She was in the hospital for three months. None of these, like, you know, take this as just a situation where something happened, but I am on the, uh, you know, I'm on the other side of it. And <laughs> all things over here, um, are well and know that if there is any type of recommendations that your healthcare provider, um, you know, suggests for you, always do your research. If you need to get a second opinion, always, always do that. But definitely do the thing that is right for you, your body, and your family. And then go after you have done your research, make the best decision for you. Okay. I think that that's, that's, you know, definitely a good bit of advice because a lot of times we do have these um, horror stories about, you know, events that happen and then people hear the one horror story and go off of that. Although there have been many other, you know, successful, like you said, successful attempts in, in uh, at the same surgeries that shouldn't keep people from at least looking into the recommendations that are given. When you, exactly. if you were able to think on um, maybe like two or three things that you wish you knew um, beforehand that you could give help or advice to somebody who is thinking about getting a hysterectomy what would be some things you wish you knew or some things you wish you had done to prepare yourself for the aftermath of the actual hysterectomy not not all of the complications because you know you can't prepare yourself for those type of things but what things do you wish you would have done differently or that you could, you know, just say like, you know, I didn't know this, but maybe I should tell somebody else. Okay. Definitely the chemical imbalance. You know, just knowing that it might take you a while to get back to feeling like you. In some cases. Um, before, we, before we move from that, would you say that you feel like you before or do you feel like there there is a change and you have to get used to the new you I am different now but I think it's a different for the better mm -hmm. for me okay um uh, yes mentally I just feel like I'm you know clearer uh happier but it just could be like some of the things in my life calm down because of some of the things in my life calming down, it could just be like a mixture of all of that. Right. Um, so 
I would just say just the chemical imbalance of it. I would also say that if you have um, a spouse or if you're in a relationship to do your, to let them understand that there may be a, a shift in um, you emotionally, uh, because I think that that's something that they need to prepare for. Mm-hmm. So maybe we shouldn't talk about big decisions for a good month. Maybe we shouldn't, you know, you, you should, even though same things may be said or done that may seem like they're personal, they're probably not going to be personal because I'm still just trying to figure out myself. And yes. then, you know, expectations of me being okay. You know, I'm using finger quotes here, but like being okay because I'm home from the hospital. Because I really think that that's one of the misconceptions about most surgeries is that because we are not in the hospital any anymore, then we're we are okay. But you have a yeah. lot of healing that needs to be done once you go home. You're not okay because the hospital said go home. You just n- no longer need the care of the hospital. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think that letting your, having a very understanding um, spouse, because a lot of, you know, if you have someone who has um, that emotional intelligence, Mm -hmm. it might be um, a little bit better. But if you don't have um, someone who has that emotional intelligence or has had to go through this experience, so if this is everyone's first time, um, understand that it is their first time just like it is yours. Mm -hmm. And if you are wanting that person to be um, your support, just know that number one, they don't know how to be so you are going to have to coach them through it mm-hmm. and then number two me as you know being me has to under I needed to understand the um that you have to you got to give a little you, you know you have to be a little bit softer because nobody understands. Like, you don't understand what you're going through. Your mind is going crazy. They're like, I don't, this is crazy over here. So just understand that point. And then I think my third point that I were, you know, another one that I would say, which has nothing to do with anything. But when I got ready to go to the hospital, I knew that I was coming home. So I bought all types of cute pajamas. I know you did. Y'all don't all know Y'all don't know her. <laughs> I call her the pretty princess because this one right here is she going to be cute at all times. That's why she told us she did her hair before she went. Feeling bad. She, she did her hair because she going to be cute. So I know you done brought all the pajamas. Cute stuff too. I had cute. They yeah, were cute. Some of them had little ducks on them. On ducks. Cards. <laughs> And what was the other one say? Oh, the other ones were white and they say um, love on them. They were cute. But, you know, and I have had abdominal surgery um, before. I don't know why I thought that elastic would be like the best (laughs) thing to put, you know, I I don't know. I, I have no clue. But 
get you some nightgowns. So my friend Tiffany, <laughs> Tiffany came to the hospital and um, she couldn't get in, you know, COVID restrictions or whatever, but she had got me a bag of stuff. And one of the things she got me was a um, Kate Spade beautiful blanket that I actually have on right now. And then she got a uh, matching gray, it's like gray and pink nightgown. And she got that for me. And I was like, you know something? This is exactly what I need right here. Like I need this nightgown. So I wasn't able to wear, I, I did wear them, but then when I wore it, wore the pajamas that I had bought, I had to actually take like a towel or something and like put it around the elastic because that's where my incisions were along with the bladder, along with the, you know, all of that stuff I had going on. So I would suggest buying nightgowns. And when I had the surgery, you know, everyone, anyone who has ever had a baby, they give you those little net panties. Well, I mean, they're fine for what they're worth, but I would suggest going and getting like regular, you know, panties, um, whatever brand you like, you know, you like. I had just purchased some uh, Hanes her way and whatever size you are, I would say go up a size. Ain't no reason, you know, ain't nobody looking at these. This is just something because you got to put those, the, um, the uh, pregnancy pads at times in those. And so just go up a size so you can be comfortable. Um, and so I would say nightgowns, panties, and having a supportive spouse that can help you, you know, um, get through it. And also just understanding that you need to take time for Tiffany came through for you. So you want, if you don't have a spouse, you're going to make sure that you have a supportive someone yeah absolutely yes you know just somebody who can be like hey how in the good you know my my friend tiffany had recently had one herself so now hers went smooth she was up walking driving and so i say all of that everything about you be like the drama (laughs) i think i think it's only fitting that this would have been the drama as well like you know right it'd be you know extravagant pomp and circumstance at all times i think that this was just not in reverse yes so i think that it turned uh out to be nice but yeah it, it it was okay. I it, think it was okay. It, would there be anything else that you would say about like a warning? I understand. Going back to work. Like I, I know that, you know, when I had weight loss surgery, they, they give you a recommended time. And every time I get onto the groups, there'll be so many people to be like, I'm taking 22 minutes and then I'm back to work. And then after you, after the people get the surgery, you hear everybody being like, oh Lord, I should have took at least three days off type of thing. Was there a recommended time for you to um be home or, um, would you would you recommend people taking time if they have it? I know that everybody can't do everything and I don't want to be that kind of person to be like, everybody got days and all of that because we don't. But 
if you can, would you recommend that people take uh, an amount of time or do you feel like this can be done? But as far as the mental part of it, this can be done within like two, three days. Definitely not two, three days, but I did have people who've had it and was like, oh, I was back at work in two weeks or I was back, I was back at work in a week, you know? I could, if, depending on, I think, depending on your pain level and how smoothly it went and maybe how, you know, whatever, I don't know, how big your uterus could have been they may be able to get back, you know, jump back into the game as quickly as possible. But I would say that if you have the opportunity to take that time and whatever that time uh, looks like, you know, if you have short-term disability, if you have FMLA, if you are not going to be strapped for uh, cash, if you can take that time, take it. And would you say that's more for the mental part or more for the physical part? Both. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, do if you don't have to be um, if you don't have to be worried about anything and can really go and take that time, take it so you can get yourself together. Mm-hmm. Mentally and physically and I would say I've never had a hysterectomy but I would I would give the advice of when you're not okay don't be afraid to tell people you're not okay because I think that one of the best things about your story is that you knew you were not okay and you were not afraid to say something ain't right here it it but then there hit a point when even you felt like, I don't want to be too dramatic and be all like, I need to go back to the hospital or I need to have somebody drive me like this. I'll be fine. I'll be home. But because you had a friend who was like, nah, nah, dude, like <laughs> something don't sound right. right. Let's let's assess this so we can see what you need to do. I would, I would suggest that whatever whatever may be the procedure if you're not okay don't try to superwoman through this go back to the hospital just go back to the hospital talk you know you don't want to be in a place where you know like hey I just don't feel well and one of the things that I can say is if I would have let that nurse rush me out of the hospital that Saturday. Mm-hmm. How do we know that I would have made it back to the hospital that Sunday? I was bleeding out. I was bleeding internally. Mm-hmm. And so if I had not have been able to say, hey, y'all, I just, I, this right here, I'm not doing well. I don't feel good. You know, things like that. How do we know we, I would have made it there? You know what I'm saying? So everybody knows their body and just continue to, you know, remember that you know your body. And if you don't feel right or if you don't think that something is right, 
go ahead and um, don't let anyone um, rush you. Make that call and say, I'm, I just can't. I'm not going. Or I, I need to go. And don't feel bad about it. Yeah, because a lot of times, too, we, especially as, you know, Black women and being taught that we need to just be like, you know, superwoman and we got to weather the storm at all times, push through. We feel like, you know, I don't want to be a burden or I know there was a time where I felt like I'm going to get down there. They're going to be like, you got to go, go home, you know, and I done made this big deal. <laughs> I didn't put everybody on alert. Now I got to show up and be like, oh, they just said I got an ingrown nail, you know? So you, you feel like you don't want to, you don't want to make it seem like it's a big deal. But I just feel like in this day and age that I am in now, like be heard and let them tell you it ain't nothing than to be quiet and find out it was a whole bunch of something. Absolutely. Don't let don't let people do you like that. Absolutely. Don't let the people tell you they can't find a doctor's phone number. Make a phone call. Now everybody can't make the phone calls you you have access to, but if you know your doctor's number, call your doctor. If they if you don't feel like they're calling, because you know everybody has that option to say. I'm not, you know, especially for the nurse, you know, when you're talking to the nurse, I don't feel well. I'm not leaving until I talk to my doctor. Until How do we got all this technical stuff out and all these feelings and emotions and therapies and all of this stuff? And I Absolutely. love it. What is it like now sexually after a hysterectomy? Can we talk about that? Okay, we can never talk about that. <laughs> I feel like, you know, um, I feel like I've heard a lot of women say that, you know, they they don't feel like, you know, sexy. They don't feel like a woman. Um, so, you know, what what is that like for you now? Well, you know, so after they take the uterus and the cervix and all of that stuff out they build like a vaginal cuff which is like a umbrella we'll say right okay so it doesn't go into the other you know just into the world of the abyss but i don't necessarily feel like it will i it's not I, the vaginal cup don't have the buoyancy as as much as the cervix and the uterus, right? Okay. So because it's more stiff, the when you know when you're going in, when they're going in, it doesn't have that that bounce back. So because it doesn't have that bounce back on it at times, right? it can be a little bit more painful, I feel like now, than it was before. I do not feel like there is any um, extra, dry, you know, some people say it's like dryness or um, any of that. None of that is an issue. Okay. Um, and as far as, you know, 
I think that no, nothing that as far as any of that sexually, none of that has been an issue for me. Okay. Now I can say that if let me see what medicine was I taking. If I can't remember if it was the estrogen or something else, I can't remember. But whatever it was, I do think that it was harder at the time of me taking that medication that it was a little bit um, more challenging for me to have like an orgasm. But after I stopped taking the medicine, then I was fine after that as, as well. What about the drive? Like, is the drive different? Mm-mm. No, all of that is all of that is the same. <laughs> Not mm-mm. mm-mm. No. <laughs> We good. (laughs) I feel like it gives, I feel like those statements still really will give a lot of people hope because I feel like a lot of people are like, I don't want to, you know, lose my sex drive. I don't want my partner to feel, you know, like I'm not interested in them anymore. Um, but you know, also I think too, you're, you are an active person before surgery and, and now, you know, continuing on and that may, maybe that may also help your body to continue to, you know, think in those ways. It could. So, um, when, you know, Danielle says active, please don't think, you know, it's like, on the pole oh or, no I mean, I mean I mean I <laughs> mean physically actively she works out a yeah. lot she works out so. a lot she's really active in the gym is what I'm <laughs> so, <laughs> think about I, that no <laughs> you mean she's in the gym she's a she's a cyclist y'all she like she get it and she you know regular working out and whatnot running walking all of the good stuff and so, so I, I that been because you are a physical person in as far as working out and whatnot, moving your body, keeping your body healthy in those ways. Yeah. So I love, love, love. I don't know it. It does it. <laughs> I love the spin. I love the cycle, whatever one people want to call it. Um, I can say getting back on that bike for the first time was really a challenge because a lot of people in general don't like the bike because they're like, oh, those seats are painful, they hurt, whatever you do, your, your booty got to get get uh, comfortable with it. But I don't necessarily know if um, that was it, but I do believe that anytime you move and you can stay active and you can exercise, I think that that contributes to um, definitely your um, overall health. And mm-hmm. overall is also sexual health as well. So um, I, but yeah, I don't, I don't have any problems. I don't think um, with that, I'm gonna have to take a poll. I don't have not like a whole bunch of poll. I don't have a lot of people to ask. And when I do my survey, I'll be able to report back, yeah. make sure that. and see what um see what it is but no I think you know I'm still um doing and performing as 
as normal, I think. Yeah. I think also but I do I ahead. do think that sometimes it's there it is like it would it's painful. Um and I once again, I don't know if because of the other things that you know I told you that I'm still trying to figure out. Um so I don't you know, don't know, but in my partner's defense or whatever, I can say that currently, you know, I really have a, a, a good one. And so I don't know. Mm. I'll uh, have to get back to you on that. Uh, well, you know, get get back to us and let us know. Let us <laughs> the the uh, outcome of the survey. <laughs> survey says ding let us know what it what it is I I was gonna say I think that um you know to when I spoke to somebody else and they were talking about considering getting a hysterectomy one of the issues that one of the things that made them leery about it was the fact that um they weren't going to be able to have any more children and I think maybe because you have four children already and I don't really feel like you in the market for babies you know because we have grandchildren and I kind of feel like once you have grandchildren you're not really thinking about having more children typically um and so maybe that may have also changed your affected your thoughts on the process because since you have older children, it's not really like you about to be like, well, my son's about to be 16, but maybe I might want to start over again and have another baby. No, I, at, at that time, I only had one, but I, but my daughter, my oldest daughter was pregnant with her second child at that time. And you're absolutely right. I did not feel like I wanted to not that there's anything wrong with it but I did not want to have um, another baby um, then or now and the way that I am setting up my life it's <laughs> too much for the dog I got I got going on right now because he is a baby you know dogs are babies in themselves you know because you got to take care of them forever and so um, he has kind of adjusted, he has adjusted to the traveling life and I just don't feel like baby. So I was totally fine with um, not having any more children, but I did read before um, having the hysterectomy how some women are very sad and emotional about that stage of their life Um leaving and they were um, very sad and tearful about it but um no I was not like it was, I was just like oh okay yeah I was I okay say that that was you know that was a um hard um reality to face is that you know they you won't you won't be able to have any more children yeah, I'm okay with know it. Some of the people are really were really in the market to have more children, but just the fact that they knew that they wouldn't be able to, you know, make some people afraid. You know, Larry, uh, only also because you know a lot of 
people equate um, being able to have birth with, you know, their womanhood. And so, you know, if they can't do it, there are some women who that, you know, is, is depressing for them. Not mm-hmm. all, you know, or anything like that, but I feel like there are some people who have spoken, I've spoken to, and that was one of the things for them, one of the fears for them. To be- you know, I, I think that sometimes having the finality of it, you know what I'm saying, just being so finite of this can never happen again, opposed to I don't want it to happen, like you said, that is where that, um, that's the challenging part of it. Because, okay, I'm taking this birth control or whatever I'm using. So now I, you know, because I don't want to, but now I can't are two totally different things. And so um, the emotional piece of it sometimes is heavy. But no, all the time. Um, But maybe for me, some of the things that should be like, you know, Summer, this is like a big deal or think about it or, you know, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, I'm cool. Let's go. While others that may not be, you know, that big of a deal, I'm just like having a fit about. So I could, it could just be reversed for me, you know. Sometimes we talking and I'd be like, Summer, I really do think that you should X, Y. You'd be like, oh, you think so? I'm like, on this one, yeah, this, this is the one. I think we should, you know, let somebody <laughs> know or tell somebody or, you know, maybe talk to and like, oh, I thought everything was going to be fine. I said I could just drive myself to the hospital. I, I, <laughs> I would be like, I, you probably should, you know, get a ride. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, um, you know, you write about that, but I, at this point though, I, I let, I, I know we said it, I know you said it, but I'm going to say it again. For most experiences, I think it would be wise to always set up some type of therapy or um, at least a session with somebody who can objectively listen to how you are feeling and let that not be your significant other. Don't put that on your significant other to be the person to help you pull out of the the experience that you just had because they going through another one at the same time with you. Absolutely. I would always suggest, now I'm saying this as somebody who didn't, give therapy for three traumatic experiences in my life in the past four years um and knowing now that I need to to say I think that everybody that I have spoken to who has gone through some of these traumatic and even if you don't think they're traumatic there's some trauma that happens if they open up your body that's a trauma very Uh, true you know speaking to somebody having somebody being able to honestly speak about your feelings and even your your confusion about your feelings or the lack of a feeling 
and, and somebody who can be objective about, about that. Now, everybody don't got an oracle, but you could get, you know, a person. You need a person. If that's not therapy, maybe it's your pastor, maybe it's the 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 um pastoral care team at your church or whatever your religious situation is. Maybe it like you like Summer said, there there you can reach out to the people at your job may have a team that you could connect with, but make but but speak to somebody. Don't don't try to figure it all out by yourself because sometimes your mind tell you more than you can handle. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's so busy protecting yourself, it's not even telling you enough. Yes. You know, and if you don't feel comfortable with the therapist that you have, know that you have the right to change. You have the right to say, this is not working, or I need someone else, or, you know, I'm looking for a younger person, older person, man, white, black, woman, whatever you need. Know that you have that, you have, you know, the autonomy to be able to make those decisions for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that um, <clears throat> at this point, I don't have any other questions. Do you have anything else to give? I don't think that I have anything else to give. I want to thank you for finally allowing me to be (laughs) on your show. Y'all don't listen to her like that. (laughs) You're so welcome. (laughs) I want to thank you for finally allowing me um to be on your show i have uh watched and witnessed the evolution of you and this podcast and um how you are just expanding uh your the airways and expanding your content and you know if no one has had the opportunity to tell you we are just oh so very proud of you and everything that you um have done and just the information that you have shared if you have just touched one person by doing this um you have touched more than um most and so you know we just appreciate you and we love you and we thank you and we are just very we as the listeners are just very excited to hear what um, other continued content you will be putting um, out there. So we appreciate you. See, that's so nice. Thank you. I don't know how to take those kind of um, compliments yet in my life. I really just be trying to give space for everybody else to speak and people to learn. Um, but I, I appreciate it. It's weird though. <laughs> Um, well, it will, you know, it'll be, you know, it'll be fine. And, you know, for people, and she might cut this part out, but, you know, for people who don't know, Danielle has been my best friend for almost 30 years. So when she says me personally, she does, you know, we know each other, you know, personally. So um, this is just a joy to uh, be able to see her in this space doing something that uh, she loves and, you know, 
um, not only, and you know, some of the reasons I probably get through a lot of the stuff that I get through is because I have two therapists, you know, I have the one that I, you know, pay when I go. And then I have the one that I can talk to and call at any given time, which is Danielle at the drop of a hat and has helped me and guided me and given me great advice, um, throughout these last 30 years of friendship. So, um, you know, we're just blessed to have her in, um, in our lives that she took the time to allow me to share, you know, my story with you, um, the listeners, again, was um, definitely something that, you know, not most do, because it's like, you know, I've heard this story, but to understand that this could touch someone else, help someone else, and can be a learning for anyone who is listening, um, again, is a talent that not most have. Mm-hmm. But I also think, you know, it, it, I, I, I like to do this to be therapeutic for the person speaking because we go through a lot of things and we could touch on a little bit when we talk to our friend and we could touch on, you know, some things when we talk to the therapist. But to be able to just completely tell your story out loud, I think uh-huh. it helps to, one, make sense of some fuzziness that's in your head. And also to, you know, like, like you said, it it helps other people, but it helps you because the more you can tell your stories, the less traumatic they are when you rethink them. Oh my goodness. Yes, absolutely. You know, just being, um, just being closed up at times or it's not it's not helpful, you know, and there were some things that had gone on with me a few years back. And I was like, you know, I'm just not, I just, I'm just not going to talk about it. Or maybe I couldn't, I probably couldn't talk about it Mm -hmm. at that time. But now, and you know, after a couple of years, it was like, you know, you got to talk about it. It's helpful to talk about it. It will help you you know, it will help me get through it. So absolutely talking about things and trying to get it out. Well, it makes you, it's therapeutic. Mm-hmm. It makes people comfortable with theirs. Even if they don't tell anybody, the person listening is like, oh, okay. So I'm not, you know, I'm not crazy because I was thinking this, or I'm not bad because I was thinking that, or I am okay when I was, you know, trying to do this thing. And that's the freedom that I'm trying to offer. We good, even when we ain't good. We good, even when we ain't. That's absolutely right. Well, we will be good when we aren't good. Mm-hmm. It's still possible to get back to good in a different way. You just got to sometimes not expect that it will be exactly the same. Very true. Now that we got all of that out of the way, this is my favorite part. <laughs> Um, you know, I tell everybody that everything about my life got something to do with music. I don't do anything without music. Even when we, when we talked about scheduling this, I had, I was on the phone. So I was like, I'm on the phone and I'll get to, you know, we can get together, but I had to hang up the phone so that I could hit a clip of some music so that I could be prepared in my head mentally for the conversation. So it's always music about me. And so I always ask everybody what would be one or two songs that best represent you? Again, they do not have to be your favorite song. 
it can be if you want to but for me the favorite song shifts so much that I can't ever say that I have a favorite song but what do you feel like in your time right now are, are a song or songs that best represent you <laughs> when I have heard when I've listened to this podcast before and I've heard you ask this question I said, Lord, what would be my song? And I could not figure it out. But then the other day, was it yesterday, today? It was one of the days that I was talking to you. And I told you that each year that I'll pick a song that was like my theme song. And that's just the song that I love for that year or just for that moment in time. And some of those songs have been um, Mary J. Blige, Just Fine. Okay. Um, Another song was um, Kanye West, All of the Lights. Another song was... um, Nice for What by Drake. Deborah Cox, Nobody's Supposed to Be Here. Uh, Melanie Fiona, um, Wrong Side of a Love Song. And I think that I'm a huge Whitney fan. Everything about Whitney I love. If I had to take a song and put it on repeat for right now. I think for me, that would be Whitney's live version of this song for you, because that is probably one of my favorite songs. I'm putting a playlist together for the podcast on Spotify. Yeah. I think that I had a that's going to be that's it because this year I really had great friends in good times and bad times that were able to rally around me to help me get some get through some things and I really appreciate that so Mm -hmm. I think for me that's what I'll pick and I'll do that because you know the surgery And, you know, when I came up there for, um, in July, we had such a great time. And so, yeah, I'll use, I'll use that. They can have that one. All right. It's going on the playlist. The playlist is getting a little long. We might be able to put it up soon. Okay. I like that. I think I might just have to sprinkle a couple of mine and I've been trying not to put my own in I even though I give different songs every episode um maybe I'll just throw those in um to make the playlist longer because you know at the end of Issa Rae's um Insecure every season you got a play we got a playlist yeah songs in the episode and I just feel like that just represents me. Everything I want to do, I always want music connected to it. So, but thank you so much for allowing me to be on here. And guys, 
please just continue to listen, and I am pretty sure that she is going to have some uh, great content coming out to you soon. So thank you, girl. Thank you. Love you. Love you, too. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Thanks. um, Again, thank you for um, having the time. She a busy person, y'all. Don't believe that. (laughs) She's a bitty foot person. If you ever get to set, check out that uh, Instagram page, you'll know she be out here. Oh, yeah. You guys come and check me out. So, like, you want to give me Instagram? That's fine. Yeah. You, or you can tag it in there. I think I am. Let me look over here. And then you'll be able to, like, she's not that busy. But you know something that also tells me don't downplay myself. So, I am summer like the T-H-A season. Again, thank you very much for listening. And don't forget, we do this so that we can always learn and, you know, experience the things that are going on in our lives or in the lives of our fellow sisters around the world. And so make sure that you share this episode with somebody you think can relate or somebody you think can learn from this. And subscribe if you haven't already subscribed to it. Send it to your co-workers, your <laughs> aunties, your, your cousins, your friends. Send it to everybody. And, um, you know, tune in next week because I'll be back with that, another conversation with somebody who has something great to tell you as we have these past couple of weeks. You have been listening to Just Saying Podcast with me, Danny. <laughs>